welcome to Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcherson. With me, as always, is my co-host, Adam Simon. Adam, how are you doing this week? Doing well. Doing well. How are you? Ah, you know, I, I could be doing better, honestly. Um, <laughs> I know you can. <laughs> <laughs> so to kick off the show, Adam, we have a question from the Twitter sphere. And this is about your car, obviously. It's, it's summertime. Um, but this is about the length of time that you'll drive in a car. Do you have any set limits of how long you'll drive in one day? So, for example, will you only do five hours and stop, 10 hours and stop, you know, two? What's your limit uh, to driving in one day? Uh, I have not hit a limit in a long okay. time uh that i feel like is too is too far i i'm totally fine driving uh i've totally mm-hmm. I, I think the the longest amount of time i've spent in the car has been like with with brakes like six and a half hours seven okay. hours uh and that that's that's fine for me mm-hmm. um i may be driving at some point from new york city to chicago in the next uh, couple months and i that i will probably do that's about a 13 hour drive i will probably do that in in, in two sections but part of right. the reason I want to drive is I've actually never been to Niagara Falls and Niagara Falls is kind of halfway between New York and Chicago. Oh, that'll be a fun place to stop. It's a good place to stop. Yeah, exactly. Well, all right. Well, we'll follow back up on this question uh, after that trip to see if you have any uh, new new assessments after driving uh, for more than um, 10 hours. Well, listeners, we've had a you know a few very exciting episodes like these past couple of weeks, and we have a lot of news to catch up on. Uh, so as we roll into the holiday weekend uh, here in the here in the states with the Fourth of July, we thought we'd give you uh, just you know an update on some of the most exciting news stories that have happened in the past you know two weeks. So to kick it off, our first bit of news here is from Google. Uh, they have decided to delay the phase out of third party cookies until at least twenty twenty three. Now, there are a few different reasons for this, um, one of them being that their proposed solution, which is called Flock, otherwise known as Federated Learning of Cohorts, uh, was essentially widely rejected uh, across multiple different companies and uh, the market. So marketers (laughs) uh, didn't like it. Notably, Amazon just was going to block all use of that across their websites uh, because, Adam, as I'm sure you'll go into detail here, you know, Amazon's ad offering is growing and they want to kind of essentially harvest all their first party data for themselves. Um, yeah. So they need to work out a solution that's going to work better with the industry, essentially. It seemed like they kind of put something out there and everybody just said no <laughs> almost immediately. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it it it's was not super well received I think by anybody. I think everybody realizes that the cookie situation is changing clearly. It has on the Apple side of things and mm-hmm. that is not yep getting rolled back or delayed. It's already in progress. It seems like Flock is just a little too beneficial to Google <laughs> and not really beneficial to anybody else, uh, including including not as, as sort of privacy preserving as Google would is has originally said that it was. Uh, it is possible to block to back out of a, a cohort in flock and, and s- sort of look at overlapping cohorts and kind of figure figure out uh, down to an individual again. So there's that quest, there's that concern. There's, you know, as you said, Amazon, um, Amazon obviously does not want to participate and contribute data to something that is going to make Google's ads better because they are, 
you know, competing. And, uh, you know, there might have been some data transfer happening uh, in, in the world of cookies. But now that they we're moving to something new, they certainly are mm-hmm. going to take a more of a competitive stance against Google. I wouldn't be surprised yep. if Amazon came out with their own version of something uh, that if you if you want to, uh, you know, track your attribution back to an Amazon ad and back to an Amazon purchase that you would be using whatever Amazon system will be. You know, it's Google. They came to the the industry with a solution and everybody basically said, OK, that's great for Google, but that's not great for us. So uh, my guess, though, is that this is mostly about the antitrust concerns and that it, it is kind of a, a, a silly situation in that because Google owns uh, a large chunk of the digital advertising market and also the most popular browser that they can't like there's antitrust concerns if they're trying to move both of those things forward at the same time, which is, uh, you know, I actually don't think that, that stopping, preventing Google from implementing flock, that's not in the consumer's interest, but it still is somewhat anti-competitive. And the way that in Europe, they interpret anti-trust law is much more about competition rather than consumer harm. So there is, I think, you know, I, I, my guess is it's related to that, but the good news is that it gives all of the, the marketers who were concerned about that a little bit more breathing room to, uh, to, you know, learn more about it, figure out a new strategy and evolve that strategy. Um, now that's I think going to be a little back to the drawing board and and we'll see how much it changes in the next two years or if it's more of just them spending uh, you know time and resources to get more people on board. It's also very Google and that I think they just assumed that everyone would go along with it and now when there's you know they, they didn't think they needed to sell people on the idea and now that there's some pushback uh, we might see some some new efforts to convince the rest right. of the industry. Well, we have a starting point. And there's now two years of discussion and deliberations that can happen from multiple different parties to figure out a solution that is going to be best for both the end end consumer as well as the advertising industry. But having said that, you know, two years is still a long time. It seems like cookies are getting like a second wind or a second life as the conversation (laughs) over the past, you know, year has been cookies are dead. Uh... So I don't know. They're making a comeback. Yeah, I would say it's more of a stay of execution. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in short here in this come, you know, from Joshua Lowcock, our uh, chief brand safety officer, is that while we have more time, uh, this is all still moving forward into a world where essentially third party cookies um, are not something that we'll be able to use as advertisers, along with the mobile advertising IDs, uh, which Apple is currently um, challenging with all of their privacy updates. So It'll be interesting to your point. Like I said, we have more breathing room, um, but this is not something that is going to be going away uh, anytime soon. Adam, I did want to take one second and go back to your comment about Google search. In the past two weeks, we've seen two new search engines come out. We've seen Brave Browser, which is a privacy-focused search engine that is no longer relying on you know, Bing or Google's backend, as well as it's called Neva. It's N-E-E-V-A. They are actually a paid search engine. So it's a subscription where there'll be no advertising, no tracking. It's all privacy focused. Um, Do we see this kind of type of search engine taking off? Do we think it's gonna be competitive to Google? I mean, because Google has a stronghold, like they own search. Um, I'd be curious to understand or just get your insights into how competitive 
you think these privacy first browsers could be um even even like the likes of DuckDuckGo, which have been around for a while yeah yeah it's an interesting question i think that um it's hard to extract consumers from google even though it's obviously very easy to type a different url into your browser or even set the default to something else uh in your browser i feel like some of this is motivated by companies who believe that at some point apple will break up with google and and front their own search engine and that they're hoping that they might be acquired and sort of used as that. That certainly seems like that was DuckDuckGo's mm. plan for a while, although they do seem to be doing well uh, independently these days. Um, right. Or maybe they're, they're, I think the other hope is that, that Google is something is smacked down because of antitrust and is, is sort of, you know, harmed a little bit and, and that that gives more of an opportunity for an alternative to come around. Uh, I think it's interesting and notable. I saw some data over the weekends that uh, it appears that like that DuckDuckGo actually does is has more search volume at this point than uh, Microsoft's Bing does, which I think is really oh. interesting. Oh, um, <laughs> so Bing, I mean, that's that's the thing is people always forget about Bing, but my, you know Microsoft is still investing in a in a search competitor, right? Um, and I feel like. I feel like everybody's waiting around for Google to be regulated or to stumble and to, that they're, or for Apple to invest heavily in it or some other company down the road, maybe Amazon. Amazon had a search engine for a while that they eventually sunset uh, that was also called Alexa. Uh, so at some point, the market's going to change again and it, 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 right. it, will, it will open up more and more opportunities. But it sounds like DuckDuckGo is doing pretty well compared to their size. So I, I do, it does seem like there is opportunity for, for other search engines. I, I don't know how big that opportunity is compared to Google at this right. point. <laughs> right. I think that's, that's my biggest question is to your point, like what's the, what's the market for, for that? Um, cause to me right now, this is the perfect time. Like you talk about, you know, like getting lucky is the intersection of preparation and good timing. This is great timing for these new search engines to come out. Um, but just the decades of, information and training and you know his iteration google has attained in a mass as a massive competitive advantage when it comes to their search engine over these new ones so i just be curious as to see how the user experience is and what that trade-off is for using essentially like a privacy focused browser um, an ad-free browser that isn't Google. I mean, I use Ecosia a lot, which is a uh, sustainability focused uh, search provider, nonprofit, um, and, and also more privacy focused. And it's it's fine. The thing is, it's actually totally possible for Ecosia or DuckDuckGo or Brave or even Microsoft's to compete with Google on normal search results. The question is that Google is tr moving quickly to a world where Google isn't just giving you a list of links, it's giving you the answer you are looking for, right? And they might be stopped from doing that by regulation, which would then put them, I think, more in, co in general competition with everyone else. But if they don't, if they do keep marching down that road, that is the kind of thing that just takes enormous resources in machine learning and artificial intelligence and and all of these areas that Google really honestly is the leader in their field and and not just the leader but far ahead of of other people where it really then it does like Microsoft could afford to invest to get there um but it's going to become a lot more challenging for DuckDuckGo or Brave or Ecosia to have the resources to compete at that level it's a good way to think about it, right? It's like there's not a like the only the only the only voice assistants that are attempt. It, it, it's basically getting to the point of voice assistants and Google Assistant answering your question in a realistic in, in a conversational way. The only 
companies that are really playing in that space are Apple and Amazon because it takes so many resources and so much right. time and money to get there. Um, so, you know, I think it is a similar problem in like where search might be going. But again, they might actually be prevented from from getting to that place by by regulators. So next up, uh, we have some news from TikTok. Uh, they've launched mini apps, which are titled uh, Jumps, and essentially they now allow micro experiences within TikTok, whether that is, say, making a purchase, booking a reservation, uh, looking for more information on Wikipedia. Uh, they're like these little plugins that are now uh, like live within TikTok to kind of drive additional you know engagement with consumers uh, on that platform. And it seems like it's all about like taking action and conversions, which is interesting, kind of changing those platforms from maybe like awareness to something a bit more, uh, you know, lower funnel when it comes to uh, those marketing objectives. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very similar to Snap Minis in Snapchat um, that we, we talked about with Carolina last episode. And uh, it's you know just a way to in, to create these little mini HTML5 driven experiences inside of TikTok, which uh, you know I, I didn't see anything amazing there so far, but I think it's a good capability to have. Uh, you know, everybody wants to be a super app at this point, right? They want to get all of those other um, applications building inside their platform, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, TikTok is really good at at making content go viral. It'll be interesting to see if you know some of these little mini apps can ride along that. Uh, that viral content wave and maybe we'll see a breakout mini app in, inside of TikTok before too long. Yeah, and it's great. And we know, again, TikTok's huge. It continues to you know be a top destination for brands. So it's exciting to see what new uh, products and capabilities they develop for brands and advertisers. Uh, and speaking of social and competition, Facebook here uh, has now added uh, shops to WhatsApp and I've announced other e-commerce updates. So it seems like Facebook is trying to figure out what their next play is to can make themselves relevant and competitive to this changing social environment. We, we talked about this before. One of the results of third-party cookies being deprecated across platforms is that um, Facebook is pulling a lot of e-commerce into their platform so that they can close the loop on on that, right? So they're not sending you out to your Shopify store, for example, to transact. Um, so they've already brought that to Instagram and Facebook. Now it's coming to WhatsApp as well. Uh, and I think the other interesting thing is they're adding a, a feature to Instagram that is basically visual search, where you'll be able to tap on uh, an outfit that you see in someone's Instagram photo and see shoppable looks that align with that outfit, which is, you know, very similar to uh, Pinterest lens and, uh, and some of the stuff that Google's doing with Google lens. Uh, and now it's coming to Instagram, which is, uh, again, you know, I think just a natural development of the platform. Facebook's had a lot right on Instagram. <laughs> Globally, the WhatsApp shops are going to be very important. I think in a lot of developing countries, they, they are, people were already using WhatsApp for shopping. Uh, I think that in the U.S., uh, Instagram is is really more of the the sort of shopping focused uh, app mm -hmm. that that it is that's what it's turning into and um, we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes all of these things are you know uh, I think interesting developments in, in the future of retail and I don't think we have seen data from Facebook um, you know they say that there are 1.2 million. Uh, monthly active shops and 300 million monthly shops visitors across, I think that's across both platforms, but we haven't seen any, any 
dollar signs. So like people are looking at the shops, but how much are they actually buying? I, I have some questions there. I feel like it can't be that high or we would have a number from them. Yeah. To me, it seems like as we continue to talk about social commerce and how different social platforms are developing their own internal uh, essentially ad products or stores for brands to interact with, I, I feel like there just needs to be a larger strategy for brands, especially the ones that are, you know, looking to move product across these platforms of like, how do you manage all these new storefronts? Because these are now, you know, five or six different digital storefronts across Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, you know, TikTok, Snapchat, like, how are you managing like a cohesive strategy across all these different platforms? And I'd be curious to know if different platforms kind of engage different behaviors from a shopping perspective. Like to me, like that seems to be like, it's a whole kind of like level like next level of social commerce that brands need to kind of figure out is like, how do they best optimize across essentially, you know, five new digital storefronts? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are different behaviors and different ways to optimize on each of those platforms. Um, but, uh, as, as we've discussed a lot, I, you know, I think actually we are not seeing a lot of, uh, the larger brands working on these platforms yet because they're not, uh, they're, they have, you know, a separate e-commerce strategy, whether that's through third parties and or direct to consumer on their own, you know, dot com site. But mm-hmm. uh, as we talk about a lot, the the way into these platforms is the easiest way in is with uh, Shopify. Right. Um, and Shopify is, uh, you know, they have really positioned themselves as the way to be on all these platforms on day one and give, giving you one sort of unified interface for managing those things. Um which is a great transition into our next <laughs> our next I headline. Was, <laughs> I was just going to say, Adam, with, with that, we'll go right into our next headline, which is some news from Shopify as they uh, are expanding their one-click checkout shop pay to any merchant on Facebook or Google. So again, just thinking about Shopify as this core infrastructure for e-commerce, um, they just make it really easy for brands to integrate across all these different storefronts, these different channels and platforms. Um but really, I mean, I look at that as like they are really, you know, continuing to be a leader in e-commerce. You know, at some times, I wonder if they're even more competitive than, well, how would you rank Shopify against Amazon? I'm just, I feel like they're different use cases, but maybe I'm wrong. I, they're overlapping use cases, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I think Shopify overlaps with Amazon Marketplace, um, but it, it is it is distinct. Uh, I, I think that, uh, this is, is interesting and surprising in a way it shows you how powerful Shopify is that Facebook and Google both have their own check out their own payment processing platforms, and they are allowing Shopify to come in and, and, and also be one of the options, which I think is, shows you how, how important they are in the ecosystem because, uh, their shop pay as a, as a checkout product, it, you know, they, they claim that it's 70% faster than uh, the typical checkout and has a 1.72 times higher conversion rate. So it's like, (laughs) it's, if it's converting at that much higher of a rate, uh, it is sort of I think demonstrating that the native checkout on these platforms is like if, if Facebook and Google can't get their checkout to be that to perform that well, it's better for them to actually have Shopify handle it and outsource it to them, uh, which I just think is very interesting. Yeah. And of course, I mean, like they're they're also coming from the the standpoint that a lot of their customers already had their all their information filled out. So all you have to do is like sign in with your email and everything gets shipped to you, process a payment. So it's, you know, one or two clicks versus a few clicks and then filling out all of your payment information. Um, it's really interesting how like in, like in like the e-commerce checkout flow that inserting your own information is such a hurdle for checkout. 
Um, and I think that's why we see a lot of innovation when it comes to Apple Pay and things like Fast Checkout and Bolt and what Shopify is doing with ShopPay uh, to kind of decrease that you know effort from the consumer to input that information. Um, but it's just like one of those little things that, I mean, it's like, oh, you know what? <laughs> I don't feel like typing my credit card, so I'm not going to buy this thing that I want. Um, it's like, wow, if it's really like this idea of like, if some of these platforms are kind of like more like impulse purchases, you really need to remove all layers of friction in order to, uh, you know, capture those sales. Yeah. That's going to wrap up our, our news section. We'll leave it there. So you have something to noodle on over this holiday break. And uh, we're going to toss it over to the Magna team for the Magna Minute. Hi, Brian Hughes here from the Magna Intelligence team with some highlights from our second quarter video update. Virtual MVPDs look to have hit a tipping point, with only two seeing subscriber gains in the first quarter. This means we may soon start to see overall declines as viewers go fully on demand, and it makes us wonder about the future of the multi-channel video package. On a related note, the number of broadband-only homes, that's homes that rely solely on their internet connection to get video to their TV sets, has increased 21% in the last year. As broadcast and cable programming continues to lose viewers, among the classic 18 to 49 buying demo, connected TV streaming is going to become the main use of the set by 2023 among that audience. It should be noted, though, that adults 50-plus are still strong viewers of scheduled content and have significant buying power. Lastly, short-form video continues to take the lion's share of viewing on mobile devices, with YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok accounting for about 80% of all viewing minutes among adults. As always, if you're one of our partner agencies or an external subscriber, you can download the report via our intelligence portal at atlas.magnaglobal.com. And if you're interested in getting access, please reach out at forecasting at magnaglobal.com. Thank you. Well, that was a great Magna Minute. Thank you, Magna Team. Uh, listeners, that is going to wrap up this week's episode. So as always, you can find myself and Adam on Twitter. I am at T-I-P-P-I-E-R. Adam, where can our listeners find you? Uh, Adam J. Simon on uh, on Twitter. Fantastic. As always, you can follow the lab and that is at IPG Lab on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and we'll be back next week to talk about Shopify Unite. So thank you, everybody. Enjoy your long weekends uh, if you have them. And we'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.